Father in heaven, we've come here, Lord, uh, looking for you, looking to, to understand you more and uh, to, to, uh, to learn, to learn how we can, can uh, represent you better, to be a, a brighter mirror to the world of who you are. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that we'll learn uh, a little bit more about how to be better doctors, uh, how to share this information with our patients, and to have the energy and the, the clarity of mind to do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so I'll tell you, uh, as she's handing those out, um, the slides do not follow chronologically. I decided to reorganize them. But the majority of the slides are in there except two an uh, anatomy slides that uh, you'll see and which will be old hat for most of you. Um, and so, um, just a minute for, uh, for everybody to have one. Page eight, yeah. So I, I'm, you'll just kind of, I would suggest that you page through and see what, uh, where they are if you want to put notes uh, by a particular slide or just make notes as you, as you go and, and uh, piece them together later, whatever works for you. So, um, but the meat of it's there. So the apolipoprotein E gene association in age-related macular degeneration, the Melbourne Collaborative Cohort, this large study demonstrates that the apolipoprotein E2 had a statistically significant association to AMD and, and differed by smoking status. So what I'm trying to help you see is, is the genetics that, in my study, I believe is directs the cholesterol that we eat. Okay? And I think you'll understand a little bit more about that uh, in a few more slides. When we, when we eat saturated fats, the saturated fats we find in animal-based proteins, they have to go somewhere. You know, I used to think that our body just eliminated them. But it's very clear that we don't. Um, and so, and of course, the more we eat, the more chance there is that some of it stays. And we don't know what our genetic makeup is, so we don't know for sure where it's going. Right? And so, so uh, let's, keep, let's keep going here. So here's another, another study. This was uh, American Journal of Human Genetics, uh, 1998. So this has been known for a while, but, but look at this. They show that the ApoE polymorphism is significantly associated with the risk of AMD and that the ApoE is expressed in lesions that characterize AMD. Here's the catcher. A decreased risk of AMD was associated with the E4 allele. Well, do you know what the E4 allele is associated with? Alzheimer's. Okay? So, so in some people, the cholesterol goes to the brain, and it's part of the pathogenesis of Alzheimer's, okay? 
But if we have the E2, okay, and it doesn't necessarily go to the brain, but it goes to the macula, is the way that I, under, when I read this and studied this, that's what I think is happening. Okay, so, so C-reactive protein, C-reactive protein and the incidence of macular degeneration. Five perspective case control studies provide further evidence. Okay, so look at this. Uh, after matching for age and controlling for smoking, individuals with baseline uh, high sensitive C-reactive protein levels were with more than uh, three milligrams per liter had a 50% increased risk and twofold risk of neovascular AMD. Now, I looked this up. Below one is considered normal. One to three is considered moderate risk for heart disease, and above three is high risk. Okay, so personal anecdote, my mother had a high C-reactive protein. She, I don't know if my dad told her or if she'd done her own research, but she didn't want to have a stroke like her mom. So she goes to her doctor, and her doctor says, well, you need to stop directing the choir at church. Take a rest at home. And so she did what the doctor said. It went up. After that, she decided to go to a plant-based diet. It went to low normal. Okay? So that's what happened with my mom. And we're going to see more studies here today that, that support that. So take a look at the, what's uh, in bold there. Food is medicine, and diet impacts the risk for and progression of age-related macular degeneration. But we have few clues as to why. We found that wild-type mice fed a high glycemic diet. This was the first time I've ever seen that, that uh, insulin resistance, you're going to see here, is involved in AMD as well. So, but it says, we found that wild-type fed mice fed a, a high glycemic diet similar in composition to the Western diet, developed a disease state that resembles dry AMD. Dropping down to the, the bowl down below, changing the diet to a low glycemic diet, even late in life, arrested the development of AMD, offering a dietary intervention for AMD. So in conclusion, our study reinforces the importance of consuming low glycemic diets. Uh, edited by a, a gal here at Duke University pretty good qualifications there. This was last year that they identified this. Apolipoprotein B in cholesterol-containing drusen and basal deposits of human eyes with age-related maculopathy. So in this study, uh, we learned that um, ApoB and ApoE in protein, finding cholesterol and ApoB in the sub-RP deposits links ARM with uh, important molecules and mechanisms in atherosclerosis initiation and progression. So atherosclerosis, hardening of the arteries, okay? So the source of lipids and mechanisms of depositions are unknown, but analysis of the Brooks membrane chor choroid lipid composition have implicated both local cells and plasma. So they're collecting locally and they're in the blood, in the circulation, in the vicinity. Placing ApoB in the principal lesions of ARM is significant because this, this molecule has a well-documented role in disease initiation, 
and progression of cardiovascular disease. You know, I had had a hunch about this back in 2013 when I really uh, got involved with CHIP. I went to have lunch with a retina specialist, and he kind of went blurry-eyed on me. I'm not sure if he's even read uh, this research, but I believe that 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 uh, lifestyle can have a very positive effect. And here's one study that kind of shows this, uh, even back to 2007. Exercises in one study was found to effectively reduce plasma small-dense LDL particles via a lowering of the apolipoprotein B. What we just said was found in macular degeneration. Well, here we go. Here's a study on, on uh, exercise at the University of Wisconsin. We've all probably heard of the Beaver Dam study. And, you know, this one in particular says that it helps women. Well, I think another study needs to be done because I think it's, it will work just as well in women. I have no idea why, the, why it just worked for women there, but uh, I'm believing that, uh, that we'll find evidence that it works for men too. So why did I... Uh, uh, look at this study that has the uh, endothelin one. Endothelin is, is a potent vasoconstrictor that its primary purpose is to help uh, homeostasis or to prevent vascular dysregulation. Most of the disease that we have in wet macular degeneration in diabetic retinopathy are, are the ones that we see most commonly, but that's really vascular dysregulation, right? New blood vessels forming in the vicinity of the macula are, are, are there, and I believe that's why endothelin, endothelin is found in higher quantities when wet macular degeneration is present. So, um, of course, we've been talking about nitric oxide because of the studies with glaucoma, right? And so, so, um, so let's keep going here. So here's the the um, normal retina, which we all know. Here's our our RPE and and the the Drusen deposits. So that's where. I think they're saying the ApoB, apolipoprotein B or apolipoprotein E is, is being identified. So, of course, we know that it can be dry or it can be wet. And um, uh, uh, they believe that inflammation, lipid deposition, angiogenic factors, the, the VEGF that's, that's active there is, uh, is, is causing the various problems. Of course, We've all seen this on our OCTs, if we have an OCT. And, uh, uh, of course, the VMT. This girl looks a little bit like Ellie Rose to me. I don't know why. But, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, fortunately, we can see her clearly. Um, but, of course, this is what happens to the vision. So this is a, um, moving on to diabetes. This is really, really important for optometry to understand what's happening with diabetes. So you see 22 million people 
have been diagnosed in the, in the U.S. Eight million have it but don't know it. But this is the one that's scary. That means that one out of every three adults that come in your office, one out of three, either has prediabetes or full-blown full diabetes. Let that set in for a minute. Okay? Now, let me tell you this. Right now, one out of every four healthcare dollars is spent on, on taking care of diabetes. So, when the, when the current research <coughs> says that somewhere in the ballpark of 70% of those will become full diabetic if something doesn't change sometime in the next probably 10 to 15 years, what that means is we'll be spending over a trillion dollars a year just on diabetes when that happens. If something doesn't change. Now, lifestyle medicine can change that right now. And we were talking about that earlier today. So, so Seventh-day Adventist optometrists, we can play a huge role in that. But I think we have to have a different mindset when we take care of our patients. I now ask for blood tests from all of their PCPs, almost all of them, if I suspect that they might have diabetes. And the way that I check for that, I'll share with you in just a minute. You all pretty much This is the thing that really surprised me, is that insulin resistance is a, a part of the pathogenesis of all of these common diseases. Shocking. Shocking to me. I, I you know, it's, it's, um, we have a lot of opportunity to, to make a difference in our patients. It's so important. I mean, God can use all of physicians in our denomination right here in our own country. Yes, we need to pray with our patients. We do. Once we make a difference with our patients, then, then we have a chance to talk with them. We were talking about or earlier today about how many times we have to hear something before we act. When I did some of the early Creation Health seminars that, that um, uh, early on, I remember being frustrated that I didn't observe people changing their, you know, applying the things that I was teaching them. God eventually put it in my heart that, that really I'm just planting seeds. And so... <clears throat> We have, to, we, we have to be planting seeds in our practices. And as we're talking about uh, these various um, systemic problems here, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, metabolic syndrome, uh, I had four of those, the top four, uh, in 2009. Uh, I was obese. Uh, don't think I had any of the other problems. I was pre-diabetic. Um, and so, so, all right. So here's the diabetic retina. 
when we look at that, you know, you can see a, a, a few hemorrhages here and here. There's probably one or two of them there, but it doesn't look that bad. It's fairly close to the macula, but, you know, there's no erma, there's no cotton wool spots. But then we do the autofluoresce and we see it's, it's, it's actually pretty beat up. And so that's the thing that, that occurs to me as it re, in regards to insulin resistance. It's kind of like the silent thief of life. You know, we call glaucoma the silent thief of sight. Well, insulin resistance to me is the silent thief of life because I don't, I, I'm sure that it's because physicians don't have the time to talk to their patients about it, but I have quite a few that are pre-diabetic and there isn't any discussions going on in the primary care practice. So I'm finding myself having these discussions with, with them to, to uh, try and, and take care of them, but re reimbursements are going down. You know, we have to figure out a way to, to share this message in a more efficient way and uh, uh, in a way that will equip them. And part of that is praying with them. Um, so here's, uh, here's where the, the vessels are located as it relates to diabetic uh, retinopathy, and, and you all pretty much know that as well. So systemic cardiovascular diseases like arterial hypertension, coronary heart disease, or diabetes, as well as obesity are all associated with structural vascular changes in the retina. So when we look, when we look at the retina, and uh, you know, I'm, we probably all are, are, are uh, documenting what the AV ratio is, uh, looking at uh, uh, the arterioles and, and the, the dilated veins, and um, since I got my OptoMap, I'm really starting to, to, to be able to see uh, early signs of arteriosclerosis. And it gives me opportunity to have the lifestyle conversation with the patients, okay? Do you see, do you see how, how it's darker and thicker here? Got a, a white line there. It almost disappears right here. I believe that's placking in the, in the vessel. And if you don't agree with me on that one, I think you'll agree with me here. <laughs> Copper wiring, okay. Um, definitely this has got to be a, a uh, advanced glaucoma patient. And um, of course we have a significant uh, ERM here and uh, PVD. So this is a 50-something white female that I've been seeing for probably 15 years. She's put on probably 30 or 40 pounds in the last five years. And this is one that I'm going to make certain she gets a diabetic workup. Probably have, see how dilated that vein is? She almost looks like she, she could be at risk at developing a, a CRVO. Um, and depending on which artery you pick, her AV ratio could be anywhere from one-fourth uh, to even well, certain thicknesses there, it could be, it could be one-fourth or more, or, or lower, I mean. And so uh, that one, that, per, that person's at risk. 
So let's talk about uh, glaucoma. Um, you know, when, when I was in school, the definition for glaucoma was high pressure in the eye causing damage to the optic nerve with a resulting visual field loss, right? Now it's a multi, not high pressure, multifactorial disease of the optic nerve with loss of uh, visual field loss, right? So why is that? Well, it's because we know that we have lots of glaucoma patients that have damage to their nerve and their pressure isn't above normal, right? Of course, we know about the diurnal curve and so we wonder about that. Um, but take a look at this. Um, insulin resistance, there it is again, is believed to contribute to uh, glaucoma. So <clears throat> in the bold there, the nitric oxide is important in aqueous outflow regulation and has been reported to increase outflow. This means insulin resistance may cause elevation in IOP leading to ocular hypertension. This is, uh, by the way, from the Journal of Current Glaucoma Practice, uh, uh, put out last year. <clears throat> this means insulin resistance may cause elevation in IOP leading to ocular hypertension and POAG, and insulin-based therapy may have a role in play in lowering IOP through enhancement of, of aqueous outflow. We drop to the bottom, evidence exists that insulin resist, resistance can lead to impaired retinal ganglion cell function and trigger apoptosis and cell death. Okay, so before today, did you think that insulin resistance was the cause for retinal ganglion cell death? No, I, I, I didn't know that. Um, so this is a, a current patient of mine. She's a 73-year-old uh, white female. Uh, she has vision of 20-20 in each eye. Vision, her, her IOPs were 15 and 18, and she wasn't on any significant uh, systemic meds. So I'm treating her for glaucoma. I've got her on latanoprost. And this was the ERG that I did on her in 2015. And uh, you can see that that, that matches, uh, you know, this is more abnormal than, uh, than the right eye. This right side's the, the left eye and the left side's the right eye in this, in this diagram. And um, what I'm surprised at is that the ERG was, uh, did not show more uh, asymmetry. Um, and what was even more surprising was that when we took it in 2017, it looked like it had improved. Now, do any of you have ERGs in your offices? Okay, so you do. Okay, how long have you had yours? Two years? Okay, so the reason this happened is, is uh, it's very sensitive to uh, the refractive lenses that you use to do the test. And a refraction, a, a new refraction was done um, since the first one. And, uh, that's the only, only reason that this could have improved. But with that said, we can still see that the left eye is the one that is abnormal. Now I want you to, to, to look at the visual field. 
So the right eye says that it's outside normal, and the left side says it's normal. It's got a few more spots there, but no clusters. And uh, the statistical probability says no progression detected. So I find this really interesting. That OCT looks terrible, right? Okay. But yet we've got reasonably good function with both the ERG and the visual field. So <clears throat> 14 months ago, I added transcranial Doppler to my practice. Does anyone know what transcranial Doppler is? Okay, so transcranial Doppler is an ultrasound, of course. And basically what it's doing is, is testing uh, blood vessels around the circle of Willis, uh, including the ophthalmic artery. And the, the studies that, that um, this company did, Iquity, determined that uh, their studies showed that when, when there was an abnormal, uh, well, let me back up and tell you how it works. The, the, the Doppler essentially is measuring the velocity of the blood passing through the vessels. And they've identified what, what velocities are in, you know, on either side of the bell curve, et cetera. And so <clears throat> they were able in their research uh, developing the technology to determine uh, what finding could identify patients at risk for glaucomatous progression, okay? This technology is amazing. And it, it tests, a, well, you can see, you can't read it but there's a, a, a number of, of vessels that are tested that can help us help primary care physicians, neurologists, to, uh, to modify blood thinning, that kind of thing. And for me, it goes back to my philosophy is we know we can reverse heart disease. Dr. Esselton, Dr. Dean Ornish, uh, and others have reversed heart disease. Well, if you can reverse the main blood vessels of the heart, the macrovascular system of the heart, we, it should work for the microvascular system as well. And so, so I'm anxious to, to see research in that regard. And so am I going to change my treatment for this patient? I'm going to make sure my, that my pressures are below 15 because she's really, the, in, in this case, it's about the circulation, the way I see it. And I believe the, the, that the circulation, the poor circulation is what caused the damage. And the ischemic damage, more than likely, it's in ischemic optic neuropathy. So um, am I going to stop treating her? No. <laughs> No. Um, am I asking the, encouraging these patients to exercise? Yes, I am. So here's the medication that uh, Brad talked about yesterday that has the, the, the nitric oxide component to it. And, um, you know, in lifestyle medicine, we have foods. We have foods that produce nitric oxide. And I, I did see an article that said that, that foods wouldn't work. Well, 
if we get if we get these components the precursors to nitric oxide into the the bloodstream if we've consumed it and we know that it actually increases nit nitric oxide in the bloodstream then that travels to every part of the body does it not when we exercise we improve the uh, the the circulation to every part of the body and so and we know that exercise actually produces nitric oxide and so and so um, there's still going to be a need for this because not all of our patients will change their diet or 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 even eat the foods that are recommended uh, a lot of them are are not going to exercise and we know that there's going to be a need for the medication for certain so the effects of physical exercise on ocular physiology this was journal of glaucoma 2016 physical exercises increase perfusion pressure up to 190 percent from baseline and also increase choroidal blood flow up to 140 percent Majority of patients show a better ocular physiologic function due to sports, and sports are thus considered essential for pre preventing ocular diseases. So I would plug in exercise there for sports. Several studies have shown that aerobic exercise training improves endothelial-dependent vasodilation in healthy older adults as well as patients with hypertension. So here's the example, 12 weeks of moderate aerobic exercise training have been shown to reverse the age-related loss in endothelial vasodilator function in previously sedentary men. So does anyone know what moderate aerobic exercise, how you know that you're getting it? Well, that's, that's another way to tell, okay? One of them is if, you, if you're able to whistle freely, then you, it's mild aerobic exercise, uh, if whistle or sing. And so, so if you're just beyond that, then you're probably moderate. The one that I like to, to, to share with patients is the talk test. It means that if you can if talk freely like I am right now, then you're probably not exercising to your best level. If you have to take a breath every few words or so, you have to take another breath, then you know you're at moderate aerobic exercise. And if you can't speak at all, then you know you're vigorous. You're at the vigorous level. And by the way, the harder you exercise, the shorter amount of time you have to do it. So for those of you who just want to get it over with, um, there's, there's studies that show that. So this was, a, I learned this actually probably five years ago. Um, one of our well-known speakers shared this from Harry Quigley at John Hopkins. Uh, IOP can be lowered by exercise that raises the pulse just 20 to 25% for 20 minutes, a minimum of four times per week. 20 to 25%, I'm not sure, actually is at the moderate level. Um, I know I'm not, I'm not uh, out of breath at that point. So 
I want you, uh, the next several slides that we're going to go through, I want you to remember uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, and the verses in Daniel 1. Because for me, this proves what the Bible says. Okay? These, these uh, uh, slides coming up here. So, a legume-based hypochloric diet reduces pro-inflammatory status and improves metabolic features in overweight, obese subjects. The consumption of legumes, four servings per week within a hypochloric diet, resulted in a specific reduction in pro-inflammatory markers such as the CRP, allowing people to, to uh, lose weight as well. Uh, European Journal of Nutrition, 2011. Uh, here's a, a, another study. <clears throat> you know, oxidative stress and ischemia and um, oh, what's the other one? Um, all of those are are considered to be part of of, of what's happening to the body when uh, when we're consuming these saturated fats, found primarily in animal-based foods. It causes the, this lipotoxicity, and um, uh, the fat starts to accumulate in the, the liver. Uh, fatty liver disease is actually becoming quite, quite common, and uh, uh, skeletal muscle cells impairing insulin signaling and thus decreasing glucose uptake. The saturated fat has been associated with oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, and insulin resistance in numerous metabolic and epidemiologic studies as well. So in addition, diets high in saturated fats are associated with a predominantly gram-negative liposaccharide-rich gut microbial pattern, which also leads to insulin resistance and inflammation. So the bottom line, a, a plant-based diet has been shown to reduce visceral fat and improve markers of oxidative stress more than a conventional diet in individuals with type 2 diabetes. And that was last year. Last year. So, this is more of the same here. Researchers concluded that a plant-based diet inter interventions are effective in lowering plasma cholesterol concentrations. This one is, just came out just within the last month or two. And, you know, the American Heart Associ Association has what they say is the ideal diet for heart disease. And so they compared that to, to um, the vegan or whole food plant-based. And so, take a look. The vegan diet significantly reduced systemic inflammation as evidenced by uh, the high-sensitive C-reactive protein test in patients with cardio, uh, coronary artery, artery disease on guideline-directed medical therapy while an American Heart Association diet did not. So it's miraculous. I mean, it's, it's, it's proving again and again and again that a whole food plant-based diet is best. So, so here I am, 2009. It's about the time I, I, I was on that panel with my first Creation Health series. And um, I'm 219 pounds. I'm obese at a BMI of 33. Here's my, here's my A1C, and I had triglycerides of 319. 
So, you know, I'm a, I'm a heart attack waiting to happen. And um, I had to take a nap um, pretty much every day. My wife bought me a nice comfy couch. And so uh, I, you know, I, I inherited this ability to, from my dad, actually. I could go up and sleep for 15 or 20 minutes and go back to work. And uh, it was a long time before my staff ever learned about that. Um, and so uh, I wasn't getting much exercise at that time. And remember, I was rehabbing a hamstring avulsion and, uh, or a repair for that. So here I am in 2018. I'm at about 170. My BMI has improved. My triglycerides are down in the low hundreds. And I don't need naps anymore. I enjoy exercising. I, I, I enjoy a light feeling in my stomach. Uh, and um, I want you to, I want to go back to what I shared with you as to how I got into this with the, starting with reading my Bible. I'm convinced that that, even though I've known Jesus all my life, I've known who he is. I know I've had a relationship with him, but my relationship with him went to a different level after reading my Bible through. And have I had ups and downs since then? Absolutely. But I know that, that, that in order for me to be able to make the right decisions on a daily basis, I have to have the relationship with him first. And the concern that I have for all of my friends, uh, baby boomers and, and, and even some of their children who have left the church, my concern is this, because I've experienced it myself, is that when I was not able to conform to uh, uh, all of the, uh, the things that, that, that we're supposed to do as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, if I failed at that, I felt guilty. Now, the, the devil made me feel guilty. We know that, that that happens, right? Okay? But the thing that I, with all my heart, believe is that we have to understand that it's Jesus that equips us to make the right decisions. And so our first fight, our first fight, is to cry out to Jesus to give me the strength to do what it is he wants me to do. And that includes every single choice because every single choice that we make can, if we don't make the right one, it can confuse us. We heard about that earlier. You follow me? And so, and so that's the, if I don't, if I don't have the relationship first, then, then nothing, none of it, none of the rest of it matters. But if I, if I have the relationship, then all the, the rest of it happens automatically because it's who I know that changes the way, the, who, who I am and what I do. And so, so um, that's part of what I've learned on my journey uh, within the last few years as, as well. But I believe that, that um, our lifestyle is part of what helps us keep our minds clear. Now, we've learned that exercise is important for eye disease now, right? 
Do we agree on that? Is there enough science there to, to, to believe that it's real? Well, there's another uh, psychiatrist. I believe he's out of Harvard. He's, he wrote a book called Spark. His last name is Roddy, R-A-T-E-Y. And his, his book is basically a, a, about brain health. And he shares a story in there about exercise. And the, the story that I'm remembering is a, a high school in, in Chicago, uh, a suburb of Chicago. I, I believe it's Naperville or Napersville. And um, they had kids, underprivileged kids that weren't doing well, and their, their, their test scores were really bad. And they put them on an exercise program, and their test scores grew 20% just from, from adding exercise to their curriculum. Well, we also know that exercise is part of, of um, stress management. You, you, you do some, some research, um, regular exercise is really important for, for people who are depressed. It's equal to medication, equal to counseling, if they'll just do it regularly. and. What happens for me personally is that I know my mind is clear. I know that I deal with my stress better. And, um, and I believe that it's part of what we should be doing in order to be our best selves. Because we, you know, it, it, have any of y'all ever done any endurance exercise? So, you all know about endorphins though. Have you all ever exercised enough to feel endorphins? I don't see too many nods. I see a few. It's amazing. It's amazing what God has, has put into our bodies that happens when we exercise. And if you, if you can do it, it will, it will do amazing things for you. Yeah, it gives you a sense of well-being that you can't get any other way. You can't. Yeah, Gary. Bad knees. Swimming would probably be your best. Swimming laps. Um, biking, depending on, on what type of knee problem you have. Um, uh, jogging. Have you tried biking? So, so accidents with, with bikers is, it's about time to wrap this up. <clears throat> um, uh, with uh, cars <clears throat> is kind of a scary thing. Um, I've not had an accident from a, from a car, but I had two pit bulls run out in front of me. This, that happened, I, I believe they were demon-possessed because that was the two weeks before that one of those creation health seminars. Um, and uh, so I got to go back to the same surgeon that fixed my hamstring to put my shoulder back together. And, and, uh, but, and I thought about selling my bike at that point, but um, you know what? It's too important. Exercise is too important. And so I just try to be more careful. Stationary bike is fine. As long as you get that 30 minutes most days of the week of moderate aerobic exercise, 
the, uh, the United States Prevention Services Task Force says that that is good for 80% of the health benefit you'll get from any, uh, I mean, for even someone who maybe rides, you know, 150 miles a week on the bike. And so, <clears throat> so um, it's, uh, that's the way it works. So, um, Brad, should I wrap this up for the, the recording? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to share today, for uh, the information that uh, you've provided. And Lord, I just pray for each person here that you will impress them uh, for what it is that, that uh, they are to do. Lord, you have a, a special relationship for each one of us. You have special plans for each one of us. Lord, help us to, to seek you every day and to know and to understand exactly what it is you will have us to do in our practices and uh, in, in the circles that we, that we engage. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.